back, July 27, 2019, the 12 year anniversary of the Lindsay Lohan comeback picture, I Know Who Killed Me. No way. Yeah, that didn't do well. Also, I'm pretty sure it was did herself. You, did you see it? I didn't, I saw it like as a, as a joke. I didn't sit all the way through it, but it was on HBO. I, I checked it out for a little bit. I'm pretty sure she killed herself or it was a twin sister type thing. Anyway, it was bad. I remember it got like a four point something on IMDb when it came out. So when she figures out who killed her. Yeah. And then she dies. So she figures out who kills her before, right before she dies. This this conversation is the most analysis that has gone into, <laughs> including the people that wrote the script. So that, that's good that we did that here. But this is Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and we're doing something radically different today. Uh, we're just going with the theme of our Oscar previews. We just finished putting out those three parts of our mid-year Oscars report, having you look forward to what the front runners are, who to look forward to, and who's kind of sneaking up on the radar here as far as what the Oscars and award season has in store at the latter half of 2019. So in that vein, we decided that we're going to go over some Netflix hopefuls with the Academy Awards here. They have seven different movies coming out that we're going to talk about today and just give you like a well-rounded preview of what's going on with these movies today, Mike. Yeah, we used to do the monthly previews. We got away from that with MMOW being the hit that it is and the franchise that it is for us (laughs) because we always look ahead to next week's theatrical releases on that show. So now we're kind of, I guess, getting a little creative with how we do the preview thing for you. Netflix was a major player at last year's award show to all of our you know pleasant surprises mm. and we've been debating that as an academy like i'm part of the academy we've been <laughs> the academy's been debating whether or not they should be eligible we've been debating it on the oscar offseason mmow circuit here as well and now i think we want to just sink our teeth into what we know about all of these properties because there's some big names and i was very surprised by all the research here because these projects actually do have legitimate Oscar chances. Yeah, and if you listen to our three-part Oscar mid-year Oscars report there, our Oscars series that we just finished up, a lot of these names are familiar to you already. Uh, they were popping up, so we just kind of wanted to collect some information around the internet and let you know where all these pictures stand. Yeah, the ones I wanted gonna... to know more. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know more coming out of those pre- those mid-year reports. The titles we'll be talking about today is the untitled Noah Baumbach Project, which still doesn't have a name. Dolomite Is My Name, the Eddie Murphy kind of comeback feature, we think. Uh, the Laundromat, again, not about Meryl Streep and Gary Oldman running so a laundromat. So you think. Nope, just going to... Not that kind of movie. It's the Panama Papers. Uh, the Irishman, Martin Scorsese, one that's been long fabled for a couple of years now. The King, Timothy Chalamet is in that one. The Pope, which we've talked about as the dueling Jonathan Price, Anthony Hopkins picture. And The Last Thing He Wanted, which is up for a couple categories uh, and is getting all kinds of po- positive publicity. The D. Reese picture there. So, Mike, where are we going to start? Let's start talking about what Netflix did at the Oscars last year. Yeah, last year Roma rolled into theaters November 21st and hit Netflix on December 14th, so they had a couple weeks. Yeah, they gave it a three-week rollout there. They played by Academy Rules. Netflix has been rumored to do that with a bunch of these films, and we're gonna also going to highlight one exception, notable exception. Roma had ten nominations. This was the tied for the leader in the yeah. back last year with The Favorite, Three wins for cinematography, director, and foreign language feature. So it really broke through into the big categories with that director win mm-hmm. for Alfonso Cuaron. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs also had three nominations, showing that Netflix, in back-to-back years, because Mudbound had a few nominations as well yeah. the year previous with cinematography, I believe it was screen adapted screenplay and... Supporting actress. Oh, supporting actress and original song, yeah. for that matter. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, this year, this past year, Ballad of Buster Scruggs had a few as well. 
out of nowhere. Everybody was surprised by that. Yeah, everyone's familiar with the narrative by now about how streaming is doing versus the theater experience and how certain titans in the industry feel about all that going down. But there's no doubt that Netflix has been knocking on the door and they prioritize winning Oscars uh, with their latest theatrical or, I guess, cinematic outputs since they're kind of not theatrical outputs is a fair way to say it. So let's start running these down. We'll start with the untitled Noah Baumbach project, Michael. And at this point, I kind of hope he just has that as the actual title of the movie. I'm hoping that you just come over to my side of this argument and name whatever you want to call the musical output of this podcast. <laughs> like, if this podcast is also a band, that's mm. what you name it. Right, right. We oh. would sell a lot of those t-shirts. Yeah, just nothing but Greta Gerwig titled songs. <laughs> Noah Baumbach would sue us. <laughs> so it's written and directed by Noah Baumbach of the Meyerowitz stories and the squid and the whale and kicking and screaming and no, that's not the Will Ferrell movie. It took me years to realize those were two different movies. Plot premise reads, the story follows an unfolding divorce that spans from New York City to Los Angeles. We have Scarlett Johansson, she's in top tens for Oscars and Best Actress. Laura Dern's been in a top five for Best Supporting Actress. Adam Driver, coming off his nomination for Black Klansman, mm -hmm. he's been in the in the conversation. Merritt Weaver from Michael Clayton, etc. Ray Liotta from Goodfellas. Alan Alda was a, a nominee for Argo. We got a good cast. Yeah, solid cast. No question about that. Anytime you have a talent like Scarlett Johansson headlining, and if Laura Dern's name is on the cast list, you know you're in for some kind of treat. In terms of the buzz, the I guess the Mark Ruffalo of this group, to let cats out of the bag, is Ray Liotta. He was cast in the film. So did you read this interview that this comes from? I know this is a quote off Wikipedia, but did you read the source? Absolutely not. It's from Business Insider. Okay. Liotta comes off like a total dick. He, I mean, he he's talking about Shades of Blue on NBC. He's throwing Jennifer Lopez's work ethic under the bus. Oh, no. It's And he's talking about why doesn't Scorsese call him anymore. It's a really weird read. I, I was kind of taken aback and a little, I don't know, rubbed the wrong way, I guess. Botox. That's why, Ray. It doesn't look great. Botox. <laughs> yeah. So That's just, why nobody calls. Wanted to get that out there, but he does describe his role. What's he say? So he says, I'm a lawyer in it. Adam and Scarlett's characters are going through a divorce. He comes to me, and I'm a lawyer who explains all the ways we can get stuff out of her in the divorce. And he's like, no, that's too aggressive. She comes to court. She has an aggressive lawyer. So it's like, oh, shit, it's on or whatever. That's what he says. So He also said he was called to audition for the Michael Keaton Batman role in 1989 by Tim Burton. In the same interview. Really? I don't think Ray's doing well, is my point. He may not be in this movie. <laughs> Ray's still dreaming of Batman roles. I shouldn't shit on Ray Liotta as much as... I like Ray Liotta. I like him. I watched Shades of Blue its first season. It wasn't bad, but not a great interview by him. Not a great interview. Yeah. So what do we think right now? A, move, a vegetables movie about divorce. Do we think this has a chance? Noah Baumbach has been knocking on the door for a while. You know, it's speculation as to whether or not we think it has a chance at this because we just don't know enough about it. I would love to see Scarlett Johansson get some credit for doing the performance she's been doing in the last couple of years. Even when she did just the voice of her. Yeah. That was, was it Spike Jones Who did that movie? Spike Jones. Was it Spike Jones movie, the Joaquin Phoenix movie? I mean, she just throws her all into everything, and you can tell she's one of these people that just loves acting. I think it's kind of past her time to be realized that she's a forerunner and a big name in Hollywood. Yeah, Bombback has not been nominated since 2006's The Squid and the Whale. I think the most buzz I've heard for this movie is over Laura Dern's supporting role. Where Doesn't surprise me. Where everybody's seeing her win Emmys, right? Right. Why shouldn't she be in Oscar yeah. conversations? That's the next leap, right? 
based on whatever. I don't know. Everybody's thinking based on her being Laura Dern. Based on her, she's being a Laura very Dern. very popular person, and every. I mean, she she had a moment at the Tonys this year. Yeah. Broadway loves her. She gets every Emmy in the world for Big Little Lies. The Television Academy loves her. She's been nominated for Oscars already in the past. She's just and look at her parents for Christ's sake. She's literally born into this, so she's one of those people that when her name is out there, she's it's just a matter of time before she is considered. I'm actually surprised neither one of us was onto her uh, for our three part. Oscar series. Yeah, I'm still a little skeptical. Yeah, I don't blame you. These Netflix properties, and I kind of wanted to work through those demons today. Mike, the next project here is not untitled. No, this is Dolomite is my name. This is one that you were very high on. You bringing it up was the first I had heard Ruthie of it. Carr. Here it is now here. Uh, directed by Craig Brewer. He did Hustle Flow, of course, and Black Snake Moan. Written by writing partner Scott Alexander, who did Ed Wood and Big Eyes, and Larry Karazuski, who did The Assassination of Gianni Versace and The People vs. Larry yeah, Flynn. Yeah, they did I've all those together. Seen The People vs. Larry Flynn. Have you, did you watch the yeah. Versace mid- uh, I did not watch not Versace because I don't watch TV But anymore. it got a ton of awards at the Emmys. And You're the one Mike who still watches TV. Yeah, <laughs> I do live and die by appointment viewing. Uh, starring Eddie Murphy, he's Rudy Ray Moore. Keegan-Michael Key has a role as well. Chris Rock is in this. Wesley Snipe, Mike Epps, T.I., Craig Robertson. This is also a loaded cast. So that's one thing about Netflix that they've been doing is that they're not only going for these awards, but they're hiring the A-list of Hollywood. A lot of comedians there. Yeah. So this could be funny. Yeah, you would expect it to be, right? And Wesley Chris Rock, Keegan-Michael Key. Yeah. Wesley Snipes has kind of been funny in the past, too, in a, in a strange way. He's been awesomely bad, of course. But I would also- love to see Wesley Snipes make fun of himself. He's always struck me as a guy that takes himself way too seriously. <laughs> and, like, with the stuff he's been through in the last couple of years, it would be nice to see him. What if he just... thinks he knows kung fu, but he really yeah, does right. He's just like a con- kung fu <laughs> connoisseur. Like that. <laughs> or, like, his character has to pay taxes in this movie because he spent, you know, that, I think that'd be funny. But the, uh, the, <laughs> the plot premise reads like this. The story of performer Rudy Ray Moore, who assumed the role of an iconic pimp named Dolomite during the 1970s. So it's about a movie about a pimp. It's not necessarily about a real-life pimp. Interesting, okay. Because that's my big question. I did not research the real guy, and I was afraid to because I don't want to spoil it for our audience. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know something happens to him where he gets locked up. Rudy Ray Moore actually did. So I don't know if that's what this story is about. Uh, what's the buzz, Mike? So we have this from HistoryVersusHollywood.com. Eddie Murphy is set to return to the screen for the first time since 2016's Mr. Church. He'll be starring in Rudy Ray Moore biopic about black exploitation star who created the Dolomite character and co-wrote the 1975 film, which tells the story of a pimp and nightclub owner who spends 20 years in prison and seeks revenge oh, no. on the man who set him so up. I'm wrong. So Okay, so Rudy Ray Moore did not go to prison as far as we know. That's what I read, and I misread it. So that's good. What is this movie about? It's about the making of a movie, which could be more fun than we feared, right? We feared this was going to be a movie about a pimp that would have been slimy. Is it just me, or does that not make any sense? He'll be starring in a Rudy Raymore biopic about the black exploitation star who created the Dolomite character and co-wrote the 1975 film. So the uh, character in the film was a pimp who went to jail. Correct. There's okay. a lot of clauses in that sentence. You Look, as the lawyer. Should... I read very fast. I can't be bothered <laughs> with these complicated things. Ruthie Carter's doing the costumes. We have Craig Brewer is, has been the director of Best Original Song nominees before. We have Eddie Murphy making the comeback, getting in top tens right now. We have Wesley Snipes getting in top tens for Best Supporting Actor right now. This has possibility 
Netflix has not announced a release date yet, but they are releasing set photos, which look phenomenal. Yeah, great costumes in those photos, too. And Eddie Murphy is not a stranger to being in the Oscars race. Everyone thought he was going to be the winner for Dreamgirls for the supporting actor role in what was supposed to be his first comeback effort to the silver screen some years ago. He ended up losing out that night, so it's not really a shock to see his name here and he's certainly got the enough Hollywood cachet and panache to do whatever he wants whenever he wants even still in 2019 it helps when you make a lot of people a lot of money and yeah. his, his career has made a lot of academy members a whole bunch of money that's very true so we'll see uh the last thing he wanted this is directed by d Rees of mudbound bessie and pariah written by Rees and marco villalobos i love that name his first feature film i wonder if he's uh related to esmeralda or if he's part wolf (laughs) based on a novel by joan didion many of those have been made into Mm -hmm. movies starring anne hathaway ben affleck willem dafoe our pal Toby Jones and Rosie Perez. Michael, the plot premise reads, a journalist quits her newspaper job and becomes an arms dealer for a covert government agency. Of course she does. Okay, so we've commented on this plot premise being what we know about it and how it sounds like it's out there, but it's supposedly based on a true story and what we know about the roles that these characters are playing right now. Defoe is the father. Anne Hathaway plays the journalist who turns into the gun runner because she it's basically Breaking Bad but guns instead of drugs. And because of she takes over her dad's business, right? And she has to like provide for her sick father. Is how I've read it. So wow, I, I guess that's what we're dealing with here. We've talked about how like if Mike Lupica had to leave the New York Post to go be a gun runner, it would seem like a plot that's a little too unrealistic. So if her name is Michelle, and Willem Dafoe is the father, what if she says Michelle? This is a terrible impression. Oh, yeah, where are you going with this, Michelle? We didn't have enough time, Michelle. I'm trying to quote The Godfather. Yeah, that's terrible. That's, that's terrible. bad. <laughs> oh, I guess I can't quote The Godfather. I guess I can't do it. I tried. I, th- I, tried. I even simulated with my tongue yeah, I an got orange peel in the bottom of my mouth. Nothing about that made sense to me, but oh, you, you went for it. Epic failure. You I got to go fail to fly I did sometimes. go for it, and I stared you in the eyes <laughs> as I did it. I was scared. I saw Jesus for a moment. <laughs> Um, Dee Reese is the director of this. She did do Mudbound. She is responsible for getting Netflix their first of big six nominations back with Mudbound a couple years ago. I've kind of pitched my whole conspiracy theory about how it makes a lot of sense for Netflix to kind of put her up on a pedestal this award season and make a FYC campaign in her honor. I think that makes a lot of sense to me, but we have also seen that Willem Dafoe is getting a lot of Oscar publicity and a lot of Oscar push for this. You have it written down here that he's number one right now on award circuit for best supporting actor. Is that based on his cachet in terms of the last two years of nominations? So that's the question you got to ask about Willem Dafoe anytime he's around anymore. Because, man, was he really worthy of that nomination last year? Like, the Florida Project, that could be talked into. Eh, Eternity's gay. I know there's people out there that love it. I've argued with them on Twitter. But yes, you have. It's it's tough to watch for any kind of layperson. I just wonder if that movie is so bad that you hate it so much or if this performance was so bad because I didn't hate his yeah, performance. Yeah, I don't hate his performance. I just think it's tough to parse. When a movie is that much of what it is, pacing and just agonizingly slow, I think it's tough to say, well, that performance justified it. That mm-hmm. performance saved it because it still was what we had to sit through. So I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of that movie if you haven't guessed that. I know there's a lot of people out there who are, 
But you're right, there is the narrative of, okay, Defoe's been nominated the last two years. He's now got, I think, four lifetime nom nominations. He's been an actor for decades upon decades. He hasn't really won the award yet, mm -hmm. the big lifetime achievement type, you know, I've, I've done it, finally reached the mountaintop type award. Could this be it? I think that's something that's definitely interesting to keep an eye on, too. Could The Lighthouse be it? He's got that Robert Eggers yeah. movie coming out with Robert Pattinson. I don't know either. I'm thinking back to Mudbound and our problems with Mudbound. We we had our issues with that screenplay more than anything, I yeah. think. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. But we did appreciate what, what D. Reese put into it. We appreciated what we saw and what made it to screen wouldn't surprise me to see the day that d reese takes home a best director award it really wouldn't mm -hmm. i was sad to see a different cinematographer though that's true that's true rachel morrison was the one for mudbound she finally broke through broke that figurative glass ceiling there with the women female cinematographers getting nominated if i can speak correctly but yeah we'll see with this one as well i mean this is how we're ending all of these right we'll see because they again in our hopes to gather up as much information as we can there's just not a ton out there yet and netflix is no stranger to playing it secret and playing things close to the vest mm -hmm. i mean if you need any proof of that just look at how they never release numbers unless they're bragging about how 45 million people watched a Julia Roberts, or not a Sandra Bullock horror movie. They'll release their biggest numbers. Right. Mike, you have The King. The King is also one coming out probably later this year, even though it was supposed to originally come out in the summer. We'll get to that. It's directed by David Michaud. He did Animal Kingdom and The Rover, written, of course, by Michaud and Joel Edgerton as well. Edgerton getting into the uh, other side of the camera here lately. He did The Gift was a directorial effort by him. He also did Boy Erased, which was a fringe Oscar contender last year. Mm -hmm. This one's going to star Timothy Chalamet as Henry V, a.k.a. Hal. What a... <laughs> Off-putting name for a royal historical royal figure. Tell that to Billy Shakespeare. Ben Mendelsohn as Henry the Fourth. Joel Edgerton as Falstaff. Robert Pattinson as the Dauphin of France. And Sean Harris, who is the creepy villain from the last two Mission Impossible movies, is in this as well. Big cast, set photos with all those guys covered in mud and covered in armor and so this is like the Shakespeare version. This is a take on Shakespeare, I should say, but it's to me. Like, the opposite of what Pretty Women, or Little Pretty Woman, good God, Little Women is going to be? It's the opposite of Pretty Woman. Yeah, it's the opposite of Pretty Woman. Chalamet is a down-on-his-luck gigolo. It's also the opposite of Little Woman. So it's like a loaded cast, a historical property, a very old literature basis, except this is the all-dudes version. This is the all-dudes version. <laughs> yeah. Netflix is doing a couple all-dudes versions. Yeah. <laughs> Plot premise reads, How? A wayward prince ascends the English throne upon his father's death and must navigate the palace snake pit, chaos, and inherited war against France. Uh, I really hope snake pit is figurative in this because I don't like yeah, it snakes. Is. It, right, is. it is. It is. <laughs> Basically, go watch the Kenneth Branagh Henry V's. I'm sure you will. It's like a seven-hour movie. I'll get right on that. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, I mean, I studied this back in college. It's, it's a good story. It really is. So this isn't going to be a shot-for-shot shot retelling of the Henry V story, though, right? I, what I've read, Collider, a couple of Den of Geek had this. It's like an amalgamation and a condensed version of four Henry stories that yeah, Shakespeare wrote. Matt Goldberg at Collider said more Game of Thrones than vernacular Shakespeare. So Speaks right to you. Yeah, and that makes some sense. Uh, that's I'm fine with that. There are not going to be triangular hats. 
with corsets underneath, like you were trying to pitch me during their costume. I just think that's a missed opportunity. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to be released October 18th. Like we said, originally, the idea was that it would be released in the summer at some point. They push it back. If we're going to talk about how we lose faith in the Goldfinch because of how that release date is being changed in the opposite direction, it was supposed to be a November release. They moved it back to late September, mid-September. we got to kind of give this one an eye out, too. If it was supposed to be originally a summer release and it's getting pushed more towards the Oscar-friendly mid-October time slot, you would think that might have something to do with it. Although, I wonder if Netflix abides by that thinking at all. I think they do a little bit. You think so? Because I think it could time up with the fall film festivals. That makes sense. Where you can get the uh, the reviews, the stellar reviews, right before its release. Right makes a lot of sense. Right before you drop it. Uh, right before its you know miniature theatrical run. This is a good filmmaker. And this is a good writer. Yeah. And, and it's a great cast. I, Chalamet, has Chalamet not wowed us in anything he's done in the last three years? He could have chose a lot of different movies, and he chose this one. Uh, that, that says something as well. Yeah, basically, he probably had his pick after Call Me By Your Name. I mean, think about it. Call Me By Your Name, Lady Bird, the Steve Carell movie last year, who I always get the name wrong. Boy Erased. Boy, uh, boy, right, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> the beautiful boy who was erased. Beautiful boy, and how he didn't get more consideration for supporting actor for that, <laughs> my lord. Uh, he, that, that was a performance that wowed both of us and blew us away. Talk but, about frontrunners not making it to the end no of kidding. the award season. Unbelievable. There. So, uh, again, this one seems to have, I think of the first three we talk about, you know, D. Reese. I would think might be the head of the class, but as far as a picture and ensemble and maybe the most Oscar-ish, at least historically speaking, boy, the Academy, at least the old Academy, loves them some period pieces, don't they? I, I do think that the whole Game of Thrones nugget by Matt Goldberg, that has to be more widespread because when I originally read the cast and crew, I'm like, Falstaff, okay, strict adaptation. I don't know how game the the new academy or the old academy right. is for these. It it typically takes a big budget remake, Lawrence Olivier, to to, to get a Shakespearean film into the major conversation. Well, even in period pieces in general, yes, the favorite had its high points last year, but it kind of disappointed at the awards. It left with one award. Just Olivia Coleman, am I am I remembering right? Either ten nominations, I think only one, one, maybe two, if I can't remember. But think you're right. We should know this, but we're just getting back into the. But Oscar Mary talk. Queen of Scots, nothing across the board. That was another period piece. That I mean, if I were to tell you, long flowy gowns starring Margot Robbie and uh, Sir Sharonin, you would think easy Oscar contender wasn't the right. case. But I'm still fixated on the whole Shakespeare angle and. We had Michael Fassbender's Macbeth not gain any traction. Yeah. I don't know if Anthony Hopkins' King Lear did anything at the Emmys. Again, it's things we probably should know, but that was on, or that's on BBC now, so maybe it's next year's Emmys. I know we've previewed it. We did preview <laughs> it. We did actually preview that because we didn't know if it was a movie or a TV show. Let's move on to The Pope, Mike. Speaking of Anthony Hopkins. Directed by Fernando Morales, excuse me, City of God, The Constant Gardener. He was Oscar nominated for City of God. Written by Anthony McCartan of Bohemian Rhapsody, Darkest Hour, and The Theory of Everything. He was nominated for the last one there. Starring Jonathan Price of last year's The Wife as Pope Francis and Anthony Hopkins as Pope Benedict. So, we got two popes! We actually do have two popes! I wonder if Pope... Because Pope usually you have until you die, and what made Benedict unique was that he actually left... That really happened? Yes. So I'm just ignorant of what really happened. This was really like, like, like seven years ago. It wasn't like ancient history. I don't follow the news. I watch movies. <laughs> now that they're making a movie about it, now I know. They have to make a movie about the news. Absolutely. That's, That's where I am, man. But Benedict... 
abdicated. I don't know what you want to call it, but he left the position. He was the first one in 1,300, 1,600 years, something crazy like that, wow. to actually do so. And so on his leaving, Francis came in. And so this is supposedly kind of the conversations they had about the passing of that torch from one to the other. Hmm. Uh, either way, I'm fascinated by this idea, and I'm also curious as to how they're going to make a conversation between two old white dudes talking about the world's problems overly cinematic to be considered for Oscar awards. Here's one way. In Miranda Sawyer's article on The Guardian, she quoted Anthony Hopkins saying, We're filming in the Sistine Chapel tomorrow. That could be a way to make it cinematic. It's another thing I wanted to talk about with Anthony Hopkins. So he's <laughs> turning into like a living meme unto himself. Is he really? Like he seems very excited about this. This quote, we're filming, we're filming at the Sistine Chapel tomorrow. She put an exclamation point on it. Also, he had that video of him not too long ago on Twitter where he was just dancing because it was like a Friday mood and it was very scary. He was very close to the camera and like bringing it back and forth. I was worried he was going to throw a hip out. I have a bad back. I couldn't do the moves he was doing, so maybe that's just more for him. him. I have faith in Anthony Hopkins to put together a good performance still. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping we get one here. I would love love nothing more than a classic Anthony Hopkins performance and another character that goes down in cinematic history along the lines of what he did with Hannibal. You were bullish on Jonathan Price's performance last year in The Wife, and you had him very high up. Does that performance give him extra credibility going into this year's Oscar race? I think it usually does that. Look, if people are going to start looking for favorites and sentimental favorites, the guy deserves an award. Just for a year. I mean, you think Willem Dafoe deserves a Lifetime Achievement Award. Go look at Jonathan Price's awards history. If he does not get a BAFTA, that's <laughs> when we know Jonathan Price has pissed some people off. Yeah, I guess right? so. Made some bad enemies. Uh, just to recap, the plot premise here is as it explores the relationship and opposing visions between two of the most powerful leaders in the Catholic Church, both of whom must address their own past and demands of the modern world in order to move the church forward. That could be fascinating because Pope Benedict has some questionable things in his background. Like, really? Like, like Hitler youthism. What? Yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. There's stuff there. This is certainly a meaty enough plot to it could get somewhere. I just worry again. I'll repeat: two old white guys talking about the world's issues. Maybe not the most relatable people on earth. I'm so glad you know a little something about these actual people, <laughs> and you don't live your history only through the movies like I do. Good little Christian boy. Who's up? Me? Yeah. The Laundromat. This is directed by Steven Soderbergh. We all know him. Mm-hmm. Written by Scott Z. Burns. He has wrote and directed this year's The Report, which is going to be a major contender as well sure. with Annette Benning. He is the writer of Bond 25 and then a lot of Cronenberg properties like Side Effects and Contagion and The Informant. And he kind of started his career off or really exploded his writing career with The Bourne Ultimatum. The Laundromat is based on a book by Jake Bernstein, which is about an old couple arguing as they try and no. keep their business afloat no, still no. at a laundromat <laughs> just, and it's just based on his parents and his parents are really fake funny news <laughs> being disseminated Meryl Streep is one parent she's Ellie Martin Gary Oldman they never got married is Jurgen Mossack uh-huh. and uh, David Schwimmer is he always visits yeah right and he's like uh, I'll be there for you is what he says <laughs> oh hey dog <laughs> uh, Antonio Banderas Matthew Schoenarts James Cromwell Jeffrey Wright Will Forte Chris Parnell a lot of colourful visitors to this laundromat so How it could Will be a Forte really and funny Chris movie. Parnell get in this <laughs> what are what there? Chris Parnell, I can see. Well, Forte playing serious is going to be a bit of a shock to the system. Yes. All right. I'll, I'll quit the uh, charade. <laughs> Couldn't figure out the word. 
follows a group of journalists who take part in unearthing 11.5 million files linking the world's most powerful political figures to secret banking accounts to avoid taxes. Yeah, so this is about the Panama Papers, which is something I know less about than the Pope's. So it was a big controversy that came out a couple years ago. So this is, again, this is the news being made in the movie form for your consumption. So they're, they're placating you. They're now right I will learn need. about yeah. it. Now I will. It was a bunch of millionaires and billionaires and corporations that hid all their finances off seas and bank accounts. And that was discovered and they was questionable as the legalities of it, i.e. it wasn't legal. But this country has a tough time raining their foot down in corporations next. So what are they going to do about it? Schwimmer will play Matthew Quirk, uh, according to a Deadline.com article by Mike Fleming Jr., and apparently Schwimmer's an attorney who speaks on behalf of one of the insurance companies after 20 elderly passengers die on a boating excursion. Mm. So there's investigations on money laundering. I guess Mossack Fonseca is the law firm involved. That name is familiar. It's Gary Oldman's character's last name. Mm, there you go. So that might be, you know, the tip of the cat that he's a bad guy in this or that he's involved somehow. I could use a Gary Oldman bad guy character. I'm just so mad he's not like the silly. I don't understand why. Just... I've been telling you this for months. You have been. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't. I, I'm, I'm upset. And I I'm thought sorry. there was a lot of uh, real Oscar potential for this one. But there no, is. There's none. I don't see it. I just really don't see it. I don't hear a quack. I just don't. I, what do you think, Mike? I would love to see some Michael Mann and Heat type scenes between Streep and Oldman going face to face. I don't know if they're going to be counterparts in this. In, in all honesty, when you have Meryl Streep versus Gary Oldman yeah. or, or even Antonio Banderas or James Cromwell, now you got Oscar caliber yeah. movie. Right. This is screaming Oscar movie, especially when it's Steven Soderbergh. And Meryl Streep's name and Gary Oldman's name on this really kind of spurred me to think of this whole episode as an exercise for us because her name brings that credibility to, to Netflix. And Burns can write a decent movie. I mean, sure. we've seen it. Bond 25 we're all we're looking forward to, but that aside, Side Effects was good. Contagion, I loved I thought it was kind of harrowing and Definitely. a bit of a look into the future, maybe, if, if this country doesn't shape up in some ways. But the No Bourne... Oscar noms yet for him. Though. No, no, but he's, he's circling a couple pictures that are doing well, and he's got a, his name in a couple hats this year. And look, like you said, if Meryl Streep and Gary Oldman are attached to it, you automatically get an entrance, a free pass. It's like a Disney fast pass into the Oscars conversation. You don't have to wait in line. We have All the Bright Places starring Ellie Fanning. We have Always Be My Maybe getting some light buzz I think it's just some fun buzz at award circuit, etc. Otherwise, I will end my role <laughs> in this punditry, <laughs> if always be my maybe. It's you haven't Oscar even nomination. seen it. That's it's why. Adorable. <laughs> it's adorable. But other than that, we don't have anything else, right? There's yeah, no, that's it. That's, that's the top to bottom. All the important Netflix movies done. <laughs> no, of course we all have right. the Irishman. Let's talk about the Irishman. As if you need me to tell you this, it's directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Steve Zalian, who did Schindler's, Schindler's List, got an Oscar nom for that. Win. Awakenings, Gangs of New York, Moneyball. All of these were Oscar noms. Uh, like Mike just told you, he actually won it for Schindler's List. Moneyball, underrated. I know I say that as a Love baseball fan, but great script to that one. It's based on a book by Charles Brandt. It stars, again, you don't need me to tell you this, but Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci being brought back from the dead. Anna Paquin, Bombi Cannavale, 
uh, Harvey Ke- Harvey Keitel, Ray Romano, and Sebastian Maniscalco. Again, we have a stand-up comedian at the end of one of these very serious movies working their way in. I kind of love that. Again, I think let I count three there wasn't Count of Ali a stand-up for a while. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ray let Romano talented people too. do talented shit. Is my uh, my working. Uh, um, That's your warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's a prism diatribe? Something. Credo mantra. Mantra. There you go. That's a mantra. mantra. It took me a while to get there. Uh, The plot premise reads, A mob hitman recalls his possible involvement with the slaying of Jimmy Hoffa. This is interesting because they're going to go back in time to tell all the stories that he's telling as a narrator. And it's a $200 million budget now, Mike. The production story for this has been fascinating. It started... The pre-production story, that is. Started at Paramount, but the budget swelled. Netflix buys the film for $105 million and agrees to finance it with a $125 million budget. You have Industrial Light and Magic and VFX supervisor Rob Legato handling the effects of the film. And then the budget balloons from $125 to $140 and I don't want to put. I want to mention his name like he's the reason. But apparently, it goes from 150 or 140 to 175, and then now it has reached 200 million dollars, the most expensive film of Scorsese's career. I don't think it matters. I think this thing can go to 300, and Netflix will just sit idly by because I don't think Netflix can afford to have a Scorsese film flop. If they're serious about getting Oscars and getting into the competition, I think they need to give this film whatever it needs. They were ambitious enough to accept the premise. It's not like they didn't know what they were getting into with Scorsese with this film. This was going to be Scorsese's de-aging movie. He wanted to do this. And they said, yeah, let's do it. So now you got to make it a hit. He got Oscar buzz and he got Oscar wins for being on the cutting edge of VFX with Hugo. Yep. So he's been able to do this before. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised he wanted such an enormous budget. I guess you have to do it. I mean, you could have just cast younger characters as De Niro and Pacino. That wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, but that's that part happened. of the allure of this, right? I mean, that's what's going to partly make this film such a must-see. Is like, well, he's got this de-aging technology. Let's see what a younger Robert De Niro makes. It's got to be better than when we've seen a young Arnold in The Terminator. That's my baseline. Like, you have to make it look better than that. And that wasn't even terrible, but if we're waiting all this time and spending all this money and we're getting... Young Arnold De Niro, I think that's going to be a problem for a lot of people. So the MCU has done it well with Robert Downey Jr. In one scene or two scenes, they've done it well with in the last movie with Michael Douglas. Yeah, good point. It's possible that for an hour, if this is like a three-hour epic and you're going back in time a bunch and you have an hour of all the de-aging stuff... Well, that's, that's, that's going to look shiny. Yeah, it's got to look better. You're right. I mean, it has to look better than what we've seen so far. And you know, if the budget, if, if we were being told Marvel was doing a $300 million movie just on de-aging, we would have a little faith, right? Because we'd think they haven't failed yet. Why would they promise this if they couldn't? weren't capable of doing it? they figure it out. The only reason I think we have questions is because it's Scorsese. And Scorsese, yes, he did Hugo, but he's not known for Hugo. He's known for Raging Bull. He's known for The Departed. He's known for Goodfellas. He's known for these... Dramatic crime drama. Right, exactly. So I think the questions are inherent because of who it is, which is a really weird thing to say when you're talking about one of the most prolific filmmakers in American history. Like, even I'm thinking back to the MCU stuff still. Like, Michael Douglas and Robert Downey Jr., they still look like airbrush. Yeah, you're making the point you're making is that if it's that for an hour, we're going to be like, oh. Yeah, it's going to, we're not going to buy it. And it has to be better than that. Now, 
Netflix knows this, I'm sure, and that probably is responsible for it. You know, take all the money you need. We'll just dump, back up the Brinks truck, back it up, and dump it all into Scorsese's production. Those Lion because King people, you, let's hire them. Can you imagine if Netflix rolls out a Scorsese movie after yeah. all this hubbub and all the headway they've made with the Academy, and it's a giant flop and a visual mess? I, I mean, can imagine. set them back. It could. Especially right now when they're at the precipice right. of success where they're trying to hold on to all those votes mm-hmm. for the eligibility. Right. Yeah. I, I think I think there's a lot on the line with how this movie looks. Now, in terms of release date, this is very telling. And it's not surprising, but it's very telling. For a while, it was set for a November 27th release. I think uh, they're saying Thanksgiving now. Is that synonymous with this year? I don't know. Yeah, November 27th is a little uh, Thanksgiving. probably a little after yeah, Thanksgiving, I would think. And they're going for a wide release theatrically. So that's that's a big deal. And that's different than what they did with Roma. Yep. Roma had a three-week for a couple theaters, a couple major mm-hmm. cities. Now, according to producer Irvin Winkler, he confirmed the release date for Thanksgiving of this year. And a Slash Film article by Hoi uh, Tranbui said that uh, we now have a wide theatrical release plan that is very different than previous Netflix properties. Oh, what's that? This is going to be up to $300 million? Okay. Well, we're going to release it wide. <laughs> we have to recoup some of that money. <laughs> and then we'll put it on yeah. I'm not shocked by it. Scorsese has been on record saying he wants it in theaters. Why not do everything you can to please the man that's, you know, you're spending all this money on anyway. So it's not the most surprising news to me. I'm just surprised that, you know, guys like Clayton Davis and, and Oscar pundits we like, they don't have a number one. They don't have it winning as many awards as, I mean, I, I think they're skeptical like us. It's only number one on award circuit for adapted screenplay right now. That was a major surprise to me. And we just did the mid-year report, and still in my head, I had it considered as more of a contender. Well, I'll tell you who hopes it fails more than anyone is Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. But Scorsese has, I'm not going to read the whole quote, but he's said uh, things that he was concerned. Yeah, he said there's issues. There was a lot of issues. Which is a problem. If If the guy himself is saying he's worried about stuff, that's a red flag. Now, he has the right eye. So if he makes sure that they painstakingly get this right, all right, I I would trust Martin Scorsese's eye. Yeah, I don't, I'm bringing up all these concerns and all these questions and all this. I'm not unconvinced it's going to be fine. I don't think I don't think Netflix can afford to release something that isn't good, and I don't think Scorsese would get them let them release something that isn't good. So I don't doubt that when we finally get the finished product, it's going to look visually okay. But there's a lot of red flags and there's a lot of questions to answer. I agree. It's perhaps the most intrigued we are for a property this year. One of those. Yeah, probably. It's, it's definitely up there. I mean, it's just based on what the hell is this thing actually going to be? I think it's number one in that category. If that was an Oscars category, so yeah. so stay tuned. Interested like, to see that for sure. We'll definitely be covering that all the way through. All the way through MMO Weekly Oscar race updates. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about some a story we missed as far as streaming and the Oscars goes. And you want to talk about skepticism? I was reading this and I don't buy it for a second. But Michael, go ahead. So. Again, how do we miss this? Apple is reportedly looking to spend five to thirty million on each of. They uh, said six. six. They said they want a year. six films a year that they release that are Oscar considered projects. To rival Netflix at the Oscars. This is in an IndieWire article at the end of June by Zach Sharf Michael, 
we were following this story pretty closely, and then this, like, slipped through. So, yeah, we didn't think Apple Plus was going to dabble into the films. Then they they had a partnership with A24. They say that this, in the article, suggests that this idea they have of these six films, Oscar-contending films, is separate from the idea that they had with A24. The obvious story out of this, to me, is that... I mean, is anybody okay this with Spielberg? <laughs> Uh, he's involved with Apple Plus. He's been on the record saying how streaming services shouldn't contend for Oscars, yada, yada, yada. And then Apple Plus is doing rolling this out. So if this happens, yeah. the egg on Spielberg's face, right? I mean, it, I, it is egg on his face. I would. I don't know. Yeah, I could see it. Yes, and I could see everyone forgetting about it as well. But it, Spielberg is a big part of what Apple Plus is doing. I just question the legitimacy of this and how real, how truthful this is because it's awfully presumptuous of Apple to say, well, these are our six Oscar movies, isn't it? Well, that's kind of what Netflix is doing here. We just went after seven yeah. of them, right? Yeah, but one of them's $300 million. Right. <laughs> Five to $30 million and saying, yeah, right. that is presumptuous. Uh, it is presumptuous, yeah. but it's not out of the realm. Like you're going to take your shot in your year one with small budget movies. Yeah, uh, interesting. Very, very curious. A curious move, especially so soon after rolling out Amblin Entertainment and how intertwined you're going to be with that. Amblin, obviously, is Spielberg's production company. How intertwined you're going to be and how reliant on Spielberg you're going to be. I would think they had to have at least thrown this by him at first. Not that Apple needs to answer to Steven Spielberg or vice versa, but you're right. You don't want to make your partner look bad. On this, on that note, they could all get theatrical releases. We don't know what their model's going to be. It could be the Amazon model, and therefore Steve Spielberg would be well, fine Well, listen, that's a whole different story. I would be floored <laughs> if they said we're doing streaming only and we're going for the Oscars. Because that might as well, you know, that's just the middle finger to Steven Spielberg in the last two years of what he's been protesting. Absolutely. So yes, I would be, I, I expect them wholly to follow natural or at least historical theatrical release models. I agree. That would floor me if they're just going to do the one week in theaters to meet the Academy minimum requirement and then go for the Oscars from there because that would be a total spit in the face of Spielberg. In that case, you would be absolutely right. Interesting. A lot of interesting stuff, not only from the Netflix perspective, yeah. but from Apple Plus. I don't obviously Apple Plus doesn't seem like it's going to be playing a role in this year's Academy Awards. Maybe next year when they finally get these films and we finally find out who they are and who the filmmakers are and what these properties are and what they're attached to, we can make that kind of picture come a little more clearly. But as it is right now, it yeah. seems like Netflix and Amazon are the two streaming services that will dominate the streaming service portion of the conversation for the Oscars this year. Could it be a good thing overall? We've seen a lot of young filmmakers get their start with these Netflix movies, uh, even if they're not in the, quote, top seven or mm. top six or the Oscar hopeful category. We've seen 80 movies last year with Netflix. We've seen a lot of careers begun and stars on the rise because of it. Amazon, you know, they're doing their part as well, but they have more of a traditional acquisition process, right. I, I would say. I agree. We'll, we'll see what uh, Apple Plus does, and Disney Plus for that matter. Streaming Wars. Coming. Jeff Bezos is just sitting in a rocking chair. Is he naked, though? Well, he, he could afford to be. I mean, okay, he could be out in public in a naked those rock, pictures, rocking chair. Those, those pictures <laughs> caused a ruckus, apparently. Uh, Amazon, you're up, man. You you got to do something. You are not part of this conversation right now. They're banking, that's a problem. They're banking on Scott C. Burns, yeah. and they're hoping that Scott C. Burns wrote a better script for them than he wrote for uh, Steven Soderbergh in The Laundromat. We did talk about Amazon throughout the three-part mid-year Oscars report, so we didn't leave them out of the conversation altogether. We just knew that this episode in particular was going to be very Netflix-heavy and adding the Apple Plus stuff at the end. So 
If you want to listen to our analysis about what Amazon's got going on, definitely go check out parts one, two, and three of our mid-year Oscars report. We have a lot of stuff in there about them as well, but from where it sits right now, we mentioned this in those episodes too, they're kind of in the back burner right now, and that's a huge problem if they want to be seen on equal footing with Netflix. But... Obviously, we want to know your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything coming out on Netflix. Do you think any of these particular movies have a chance at nabbing any one or two Academy uh, categories? And there's a lot of people I've read that historically think that the Best Picture race is being put one of those nomination slots aside only for a Netflix movie, and they refuse to go more. I'm interested to hear if that's a widespread thought, if that's a niche thought, that's if a lot of people too. think that. Uh, so we want, obviously want to know your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about this. Anything else we really do in the MMO empire as well, you can reach out to us and leave us those at Mike Mike and Oscar on Facebook Mike Mike and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter Mike Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit we're available everywhere you hear podcasts tune in Stitcher SoundCloud iTunes Spotify Google Play etc etc just type in Mike Mike and Oscar into your little laptop computer you will see our cartoon faces smiling back at you uh, if you appreciate what we do here if you take take up I can't speak if you could take a couple seconds out of your day Leave us a five-star review on Apple's podcast. Apple Podcasts? I swear to God, I'll talk one of these days. If you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would go a long way. We really do appreciate those. I'm going to stop rambling. Tell them things. I thought you were going to try and get it down to one noise. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to review Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, we think a one-parter. Maybe it's a two-parter if it's a huge movie. We may we- just stop this Oscars thing and just devote this podcast now from now on to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> There's an ellipses in there, which <laughs> intrigues me. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to cover that early the the next week. And uh, we got MMOW as we normally do. We also made an announcement on the last MMOW about doing more Oscars talk going forward and when we're going to start that. We got a lot of uh, Oscar hopefuls coming out in the end of July with the farewell, uh, in uh, August with the kitchen, and, yeah. and uh, certainly in the September with the goldfinch and many others. We're going to start discussing that calendar on MMO Weekly, and we're going to continue to to review these movies as we've done the last two award seasons and putting out all these Oscar sprint profiles, which are essentially our movie review episodes that cover each one as they are released. And uh, we've done them for Netflix movies in the past, too, for Mudbound, etc., for Roma, etc. So uh, we'll be covering these films for sure. Yeah, the Oscar sprint is on, guys. When reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Mike, do you have any words of wisdom to send these fine people home with? So Film Twitter wants, I punched Keanu Reeves from Always Be My Maybe for Best Original Song. That I wouldn't hate. And I'll happily agree with them. As Put well. that on the Oscar stage, but have Keanu be there getting punched. It's corny, but it's funny. <laughs> I like it. Guys, we'll see you soon. See ya.